0: Uh, We are uh, starting a new sermon series, uh, and the sermon series is ultimately about the relationship between morality and the law, morality and public policy. Um, It's going to get dicey, I'm just going to tell you, right? Like this is going to be tough. I'm going to say things uh, from my perspective that not everyone's going to agree with, and I welcome that. I think that will be true. Uh, I ask a couple of things. One, just know that I don't think I'm going to speak for God when I preach these sermons. I'm not. I'm giving you my perspective. I'm giving you something to consider, something to think about. I'm not going to give you the last word. I'm hoping to give you a conversation starter. I'm going to have to rewind. I'm so sorry. I forgot to release the children. And Jordan, you're so kind, and you didn't interrupt me at all? (laughs) (laughs) Anyone age 6 to 12 can go down with Jordan. All right, will you guys go hang out and have fun? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm on fire today. Okay, uh, so it's, I don't, I'm not going to give you the last word. I'm not going to like say and and th- thus, this is the way it is because it says it right here in the Bible. No, I'm going to say, given what we read in Scripture and given how I understand the call of God, This is Joe Bankert's perspective. Please consider it. Please think about it. Please mull it over. It's supposed to evoke conversation and dialogue. And if in the end you say, you know, I don't really think Joe was right about that, you'll be in good company because lots of really wonderful Christians also will disagree with what I have to say today, right? You won't be the only one. So today we're going to talk in general about how do we understand the relationship between morality and the law. Next Sunday, we're going to make it specific about The most recent uh, Supreme Court decision overturning the Roe v. Wade decision, and how that looks in terms of abortion, right? We I haven't haven't talked about it yet, so we're going to touch that hot potato. Uh, And then on the last, uh, the third Sunday of the series, we'll sort of look at the early disciples in Acts, who resisted following the law. They were asked and told and commanded, and you can't preach in the public square, for instance, and they. Actively disobeyed the law, right? So we're going to look at sort of these various issues. Okay, so morality and the law. Uh, one quick thing I think uh, is important. It seems to me that there's a, there is a distinction that has to be made between something that is moral or immoral and something that is legal or illegal. They're not the same. But it can be complicated, right? Because some things are both immoral and they should be illegal, but then there's lots of other things that we would say are immoral, but probably shouldn't have anything to do with the law, right? So, for example, uh, you, we read in the Ten Commandments: you say, "Don't murder," right? Don't kill innocent people. To do that would be immoral. It would be a violate a moral norm, right? But it would also we also think that that's probably a good thing to make into a law, a policy that everyone has to follow. And so that's something that's both immoral and illegal. But what about like, the use of foul language? For many people, we would say, to just use foul language gratuitously would be immoral. It shows a lack of character in some way. But I don't know anyone that wants to like, make a law about it or create a public policy about it, right? That's something we might say that's immoral, but we wouldn't want it to implement it in the law. We wouldn't want to create a policy that everyone has to follow. We want to allow for freedom in a diverse society like ours We want people who have very different norms, very different standards to have freedom to live the way they want and to speak the way they want. So we have some things that we would say are both immoral and illegal, but other things immoral, but I wouldn't want the law to get involved. I think lying is immoral most of the time, but I don't know that I want people to go to jail for it, (laughs) people to get a ticket for it or fine for it, right? So we often make a distinction, Right? This can create all kinds of confusion if we don't get clear up front. Like, there was all kinds of confusion when it came to, like, um, gay marriage. Some people said it was immoral. We don't think it's right. We don't think this is, like, what God wants for marriage. But should we implement a law that we enforce onto other people? Right? That's a different question. There's, like, my moral view And then, what part of morality are we going to enforce onto everyone else? Okay, so that's the question we're gonna look at today. Really simple one. (laughs) I'm not gonna resolve any issue, but I'm hoping to get some clarity. Maybe this will be helpful. Okay, so here are some terms that might be beneficial to you. I'm stealing them from the political philosopher Michael Walzer. If you're interested at all, Michael Walzer, he's written multiple books, uh, and I find it to be very clear. So I'm going to use the term thin morality and thick morality. Thin and thick. OK. Thin morality first. So you have the slide. Thin morality. Here's how I'm using it. A set of moral norms that can achieve broad consensus across cultural, political, and religious communities. Meaning Christians could agree to these thin moral norms. A Muslim could agree to them. Most of right? right? Uh, an atheist could. Uh, Republicans could, Democrats could. There's a, it's not maybe not totally universal, but a broad consensus, right? And I talk about them thin because there's few of them, and they often are very universal. There are many ways to justify thin moral norms. For instance, the moral norm against murder can be justified using the Ten Commandments, the Quran, rational concerns related to public safety, structure of society. The fact that thin moral norms can be justified in many ways gives them broad consensus across many groups. Thin moral norms are not specific to any one religious community or any one political community, but they cut across. But they form this thin foundation right, for the law. Some goals for thin morality. So what are some of the goals? to provide safety, right, keep us safe, to provide structure, freedom and autonomy, protect basic human rights. So thin moral concepts are typically about keeping people safe, protecting rights, giving me a sense of self-direction and autonomy. right? These are the kind of concerns that thin morality has, these thin moral norms that sort of cut through culture, politics, religion. The next slide, I think I have some examples. Do not murder. I think this is a great moral norm. I think it's thin. I think it gets broad consensus. Uh, I think most groups would agree because we need it. If you didn't have any norm against murder, then who of us would feel safe? So public safety is part of it. If I don't have the freedom uh, to live because you can take my life at any point, certain fundamental human rights and freedoms are stripped. So, the, there, there's something about do not murder that is not specific to any one group. It seems necessary, right, for there to be stability and safety generally, right? Or do not steal. Imagine if people could just come take, anyone that had power could come take uh, your stuff, your land, your home. That leads to a, a sense of chaos, of fear, of anxiety, right? Uh, or in a positive way, you might say, we, we ought to treat people the way we want to be treated. That the golden rule is something that uh, most groups, most people could get broad consensus. Like, yes, that seems like a good rule, moral norm to follow. I'm going to contrast thin morality, which, by the way, I would say thin morality, that's where we get an implementation into the law, into policy. If you have a thin moral norm, we're probably going to need a law, an enforcement Protection against that, right? So here you have a connection between morality and the law. Thin moral norms make their way into the law, make their way into public policy, educational policy, healthcare policy, and whatnot, because they provide freedom, they provide safety, they provide structure. I'm going to contrast that with thick moral norms. So, thick morality, thick moral norms is different. Think of it like the thin that forms the foundation, then. Specific individuals, specific groups get to build thick morality on top of it. Get to structure a a more robust moral worldview on top of it. Thick moral norms are particular to a given worldview, religion, political party, or other community. These norms cannot, or at least do not, gain broad consensus because they are justified in ways specific to that given community. That is, they are justified using very specific religious a cultural or political worldview or logic. These norms are not about public safety or human rights, per se, but they are much more specific. Um, So you can think about different cultures. Like if you've ever traveled, and you go to a different country outside the United States, and you're like, oh, I just offended someone. I just stepped in it, and I didn't even know it, because they have their own cultural moral norms right? that are not universal that are not necessarily about public safety or freedom, but they're, they're unique to that religion or that culture. That would be an example of like thick morality, right? Some of the goals of thick morality. Well, they help provide religious, culture, political identity, the way the Ten Commandments, the way the Old Testament law gives Israel an identity. This is how people will know you are my people and not Pharaoh's people. This is how people will know you, you follow Yahweh and not some other king, emperor, or God, right? They allow us to be faithful to our culture, faithful to our God, faithful to our political party. So there's a sense in which they provide identity, faithfulness. uh, They structure our character, right? They give us our, our, our particular set of virtues that we want to live into. But the key between thin and thick is that thick morality are very specific to a particular group where thin morality can get broad consensus, I get very nervous, here's where we might disagree, I get very nervous and very uncomfortable when any group tries to take its particular thick morality and implement it into the law, into public policy that enforces it onto other people, not part of that group, not part of that religion, not part of that culture. I get very uncomfortable. In particular, I get really uncomfortable when Christians do it because I'm a Christian. And Christians are the most guilty in the United States because we're the dominant religious group. We're the religious group with the most power. Political power, financial power. So I want you to think for a minute. We're just, I have no idea what the answer is to this. I have some ideas. Let's speculate. How many state legislatures legislators in Idaho do you think identify as Christian, Catholic, or Mormon would say yes I'm a Christian, I'm a Mormon, I'm a Catholic state led a lot right in Idaho how many do you think would say I'm a Muslim how many do you think say I'm a Hindu how many do you think say I'm an atheist a few you get the idea we have a lot of political power a lot of political power How many police officers do you think would say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Mormon, I'm a Catholic? How many do you think would say, I'm a a Muslim? How many police officers do you think would say, I'm an atheist? Some, a few maybe. It will be dominated by the Judeo-Christian worldview. Dominated. Lots of power. How many business owners? How many city politicians? How many millionaires in Idaho do you think, right? You get it. Christians have a lot of power, a lot of say, and a lot of influence. And I get very nervous when Christians say, hey, let's take our thick morality based on our Christian faith, not the thin morality that can get broad consensus amongst many groups, but we're going to take our thick morality that's specific to Christianity or to Mormonism or to Catholicism, and we're going to elect enough politicians... We're going to donate enough money. We're going to lend our voice such that we are going to change the law so that everyone is going to be under the influence of our thick moral norms. And I'm going to tell you why I'm uncomfortable, why I think that's wrong, why I think that's an abuse of Christian power. Because if any other religious group did that, I would be upset and angry. If I lived in a community where Muslims were able to get enough political power to start implementing Sharia law on all of us, I would say, you can't do that. I'm not a Muslim. Your job is to implement laws that protect public safety, freedom, right, order, thin moral norms. That's the, goal of, that's the, that's the role the law plays. It's not here to enforce your specific religious, your specific thick morality. So this is where I butt heads with lots of Christians in the United States who think the goal, like our goal as Christians, is to, in fact, get Christian power. Make the nation Christian by electing enough people, getting enough judges in the right places, to get our very Christian worldview implemented via the law. But if any other group tried to do that, we would be offended we would say you're violating our liberty to live as we want we live in a diverse society the american dream is that anyone from any worldview can come and find freedom as long as i don't violate thin moral norms as long as i don't violate thin moral norms i can worship how i want work how i want marry believe do as i want but that's not true when one group's thick morality starts to get imposed in the law it becomes an abuse of Christian power. It's no longer setting people free. But here's, here's the key. You know what's crazy? You know what you can't do through politics or policy or the law? Change someone's heart. Make someone believe in Jesus. Make anyone Christian. You can't do it. I mean, we're trying. So this is like what I would call, in my mind, is like a prophetic call to Christians to avoid Christian nationalism. We are not here to implement our thick morality onto other people, to enforce it onto others, to make this nation Christian through power. That is not the call. That is the opposite of what Jesus does. Jesus could have done that and literally did the opposite, took no political power, enforced moral codes on no one, said instead, if you love me, If you you follow me, if you serve me, then you will obey my commands. It's a choice. I want to live in a place where I get to worship God. I get to worship Jesus. I get to raise my kids how I want. I get to live into my thick morality how I want. But I do not want to enforce that onto anyone else. To make them live as I think they should. And I can give an example. I think stealing is wrong. I think stealing is immoral. And I think stealing is part of that thin morality to keep people safe, to keep me being able to possess my property without someone taking it right. So it's about freedom. It's about safety. It's those thin moral concerns. So it's immoral, and I think it should be illegal, theft. But Joe Bankard also believes that Jesus calls us to nonviolence that Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, then your path is to the cross, not to the sword. I believe that firmly. That's part of my thick morality. Without faith in Jesus, I can't justify nonviolence. Without Jesus, I can still justify no theft, right? Theft, broad consensus, nonviolence, part of my thick morality. Can you imagine if I had enough power to enforce that to make, we were just going to get rid of the military, We're just gonna get rid of the police because of me or my group's thick morality? That doesn't seem right. How do I represent everyone? I don't. That's part of my thick morality. But am I gonna raise my kids this way? Yep. Am I gonna preach this in church? Yep. Because people that come here are saying, Joe, as Christians, what's our thick morality? How do we understand that? How do we cultivate that? Great. But Christian nationalism, when we take that and we say we're gonna enforce it into others, that is an abuse of Christian power. As Christians, we have to speak against this because our world is moving increasingly towards Christian nationalism, towards Christian power. So as insiders, we've got to have some voice in this. We wouldn't want any other religious group to do what we're doing. We need to knock it off. (laughs) All right, yeah, I got one. Everyone else is like, no. let Let me repeat. I say things that make you uncomfortable. All I'm asking you to do is to consider it, mull it over. And then let's go get coffee. Let's talk more about it. I assume you have 15 questions. That's great, because I'm probably wrong. But let's consider it. Okay. Now I'm going to make my moral call to all of you as we approach the table. I think it is inappropriate. I think it is wrong for Christians to use the power we have in this country to implement our thick morality onto others. But I want to challenge all of you as Christians to be more than just nice people. I want to challenge you as Christians to be more than just every once in a while I rake my neighbor's yard. I want to challenge you as people of faith to elevate that thick morality and to live as radical disciples of Jesus, right? So there's, there's two mistakes I think we can make when it comes to this. One is, I'm gonna take my very specific Christian morality and enforce it onto others. The other mistake, though, is to become so generically spiritual that we don't embody the radical call of Christ in how we use our resources, our time, our money, our faith, our relationships. Like, Jesus makes significant moral demands on those who call themselves Christians. And I don't want to neglect that responsibility. And I think the main way that this radical moral call that Jesus places on Christian lives plays out is what we see at the table. That our call, our moral call, our thick moral call as Christians is to take the road laid out that leads to the cross. It's this radical call. We celebrate what Jesus did. We say the broken body of Christ, right? the blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And when we take it as Christians, what we're saying is, I say yes to this moral call, Lord. I will be broken and poured out for others. We are here to live lives of sacrificial love that set others free, right? That demonstrate the love of God to others. And there is no higher moral call than that than the selfless love demonstrated on the cross. So when you take the, the wafer and the juice, you're saying yes to this thick moral call, this radical, selfless love demonstrated in the life of Christ.